podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is Ryan Fitzpatrick, and you're listening to the Neil Reynolds Podcast. That was the voice of Ryan Fitzpatrick. To hear more leading NFL stars, coaches, and media personalities telling us their life stories, tune into the Neil Reynolds Podcast with me, Neil Reynolds. Episodes drop every Thursday, and we already have a back catalogue that includes the likes of Bruce Arians, Doug Marone, Raheem Mostert, and the one and only Dan Hansis. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. The Neil Reynolds Podcast, dropping every Thursday. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show on ESPN. Well, 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 one or two things to be getting our teeth into after an extraordinary Sunday of NFL football. Comebacks galore, injuries aplenty and a Sunday night football classic to cast our eyes over. Who better but Iron Mike dropping by and we will get straight down to business. Now, Iron Mike, we know what Russ is cooking. What's Iron Mike cooking? Oh, I don't know. Iron Mike, a little bit bleary-eyed after that game. Mm. <laughs> Russ, Russ kept me awake a long time. Um, but yeah. he, 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 I mean, the, the seat, that was a great game. And, and the Seahawks... As I was, as I said before, the season started, really looked like contenders um, in what's going to become a very good division. Um, and we'll talk about it. I think both the 49ers and the Rams coming up, but the Cardinals have also won both their first two games. So you know, the NFC West could be the best division in football. I don't think there's any doubt. It is. I think absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you could have. Um, uh, well, we figured there could be three playoff teams coming from from the division. It looks on point at the moment. Early doors it is. Now, uh, eight things we've learned from week two is the title of today's episode. Uh, so in true Iron Mike fashion, the over-under on eight is, is in Mike's you, case, 12, 13? You, you just asked the questions, I'll, you know. <laughs> I, gave, Give the I gave you eight talking points, and you know, we'll see what we can do. I will just ask the questions. Let's uh, be yeah. very clear about I could di- you know, I could digress onto various subjects. Oh, uh, Let's hope you do. Let's yeah. hope you do. Well, I mean, we've got a ton to get into. It was, uh, it was uh, an extraordinary uh, afternoon, evening of football for all kinds of reasons. We have to start with Sunday Night Football, though, which was the game of the season so far, lived up to the hype I want to start with the end of the game and how it ultimately was decided because there's been some interesting discussion about the play call from the New England Patriots and I thought Belichick went true a Belichick style kind of deadpan and just said I think it was the right call they executed it better than we did what do you think Mike was it the right call was it too obvious because detractors are saying that they should have tried something different there I, I, I thought so too in fact I drew up a play that I nice. thought they should run. You, know, you probably can't see it. Cause I, well, for the benefit of our podcast listeners who aren't watching uh, yeah. the video that we're putting out, Mike has got, yes, scratched out some X's. And, yeah. and what, what I was, what I was thinking was that you, you come out in 22 with, with mm. two tight ends and a fullback and a tailback. And maybe if you want to be really cute, you put Sony Michelle as the up back and Burkhead is the tailback and Harry is your wing back tight to the formation on the left. He goes in motion to the right, and then when you run the play, Cam Newton opens to the left, and the up back goes left as if it's going to be a a dive into the line. The line is blocking down to the left, but Cam, after one step, 
pulls the ball back, turns right, and the tailback, who's taken one step to the left, like an old-fashioned counter, goes right in a position to take a pitch. Meanwhile, the tight end is blocking down, tries to release out to the flag, and Harry, who's been in motion, tries to use him as a sort of pick to come over the middle. So that Cam has four options. He's got two receivers, he's got the pitch, and he's got himself running. And, you know, who knows? Because Seattle was looking for Cam, which is why they, you, saw, you saw the way they collapsed the middle and, and pushed it all back and, and ruined the play. And, um, you know, it, it was a good – L.J. Collier made a good play to just submarine Cam low. But I just have the feeling that if you had that one-step counter – you would get all that motion and be able to take a, take advantage of that, you know. And now, Josh McDaniels would probably look at it and say, "Look, it's too simple and compli- simple in the sense that they 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 know you might want to go outside with an option and complicated in the sense that everything has to click precisely." But right. I'd rather, I, you know, I just that's what I was thinking as I watched it, and um, I, and I drew that up at the time. I was also thinking, remember that thing about Marshawn Lynch not giving him the ball on <laughs> on uh, the one you know uh, one yard out from the end zone, you know, your best runner is not always the guy who's going to be able to make it simply because, and we saw this in a couple of games where, you know, teams had trouble punching it in from the one yard line. Because everybody's um, telegraphing on them. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's too clear. It's interesting as well that it was uh, in terms of executing the play, you know, back at, in the Super Bowl. The first time we went with OC, of course, that Super Bowl, uh, it was an unsung hero that came up, made the play for the Patriots. And this time around with the injuries to the Seattle secondary again, uh, uh, a, a, a surprising hero at the death. So many different things about this game, Mike. You mentioned in Keel Harry, so let, let, let's talk about that because Newton, we know how strong he is on the ground. Incidentally, 95% of the Patriots' offense uh, Newton accounted for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Extraordinary. But I think what is perhaps surprising people with the first couple of weeks of, of the Cam-led Patriots is the fact that he's airing it out very much so against Seattle quite comfortably. Edelman stepping up, but other receivers getting in the mix as well. People are saying that Inkeel Harry might be the weak link compared to some of the other receivers out of his class they could have got. DK Metcalf. You know, DK Metcalf being the most right? obvious example, yeah. yeah. The, mm, the jury's still out. So do you think the Patriots will make a play and strengthen their hand with the receiving core? They might well do that simply because, I mean, Demir Bird looked good. He had he had a pretty good game. Edelman had a couple of drops, or he would have had a phenomenal game. Mm. Um, and he, but he, you know he had a lot of drops last year as well. Um, Why and do you Harry, think that is Mike? Because that's that well, hasn't been a constant problem for him. He, he's thirty four years old. He's been you know he he's carrying long long term you know injuries. He's been battered up a bit. I think it's it's simply a case of just not having quite as much energy and strength available play in and play out for a whole game. Um, and last year, of course, he was the number one target. So he's often being double teamed and, mm. and whatever. Harry's an interesting one because I think he's growing into the role um, that they wanted him to, but he doesn't have, he doesn't appear to have that explosiveness, you know, uh, and he's made it, it. The problem is the biggest plays he made. He made the big one last year and, and he was ruled out of bounds when he wasn't. And then he made a big one last week and he fumbled the ball <laughs> through the end zone. He made a big one this week, but he was stopped on the one yard line. Um, you know, not his fault. He had two guys behind him. So you, you can't really expect him to, to make the catch in turn. Um, 
but we'll see. But I, I think they need a fourth receiver there that they can depend on. They can, they can, they can go to four wides. They, they don't have a tight end to who's threatening defenses. Um, uh, one of the rookies wasn't, wasn't active and ACI had no influence on the game at all. I think Izzo had one catch. Um, so, you know, they were hoping for more pro- productivity pretty much from the start from the tight end call. Weren't they? Yeah. And I think that was optimistic to hope for two rookie tight ends to, to kind of give them the, um, the mismatches that they, need because with the best tool in the world neither guy is a Gronk or an Aaron Hernandez you know who who were at a much higher level I think when they when they came out um, of college and they got them in the second and fourth rounds um, of, of the draft so I, I wouldn't be surprised if they targeted a receiver and I wouldn't be surprised if in a week or two or you know maybe a little longer there would be some receivers on the market um, that might interest them. On to Seattle and offense to begin with it's interesting going into to this season, looking at their run-pass balance, which of course has been very top-heavy with the former over the last couple of years, but that was very different last week. And again, uh, Wilson airing it out, extraordinary game uh, for him, four touchdowns uh, to <laughs> add to the haul he got last, uh, last week. So there are more balanced offense quite clearly. Uh, and did they look to you on that basis, Mike, the most complete offense right now because they seem to be able to do damage whichever way they try and cut you. That's a really good point. And, and, a Russell Wilson offense is always going to be able to do damage to you one way or another, because if you can, you know, every time you think you've got Russell Wilson contained, he breaks away from contain and, and can throw or run, um, you know, as we've seen Carson played really well. Um, Last week he was somewhat subdued. He's a good running back if he can stay healthy. And that's, that's been his problem, you know, um, they picked him up in the seventh round. He was like a third stringer, but every time he plays healthy, he plays pretty well for them. Mm. And I think Metcalf and Lockett are now is, you know, one of the top two pairs in, in the league. And Lockett was Lockett had a tremendous game, you know, all, all the way around. Um, and Metcalf made that, you know, he had that great um, battle all through the game with Stefan Gilmore, Gilmore, which he and won, right? And basically, yeah, I mean, not totally, but, um, did, you know, the touchdown pass, he certainly got position and shook him off when Gilmore went, went to tackle him. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree. They, you know, they've got tight ends who can ca- catch a bit. Um, Olsen dro- you know, uh, deflected the pass that was a pick six. But, but even so, they, they want to be a running team. You know, we, mm-hmm. two years ago when we saw them at Wembley, that's what they were, um, you know, helped by the fact that Oakland's defense couldn't stop them. But um, but they they would like to be a running team uh, first and then let Wilson take advantage of that, you know, and throw downfield when teams are stacking up against the run. I don't think they're they're quite at that level yet. But as you said, the balance is so good that that, that doesn't really matter. And Wilson is so good that he can pull your you know eggs out of the fire or whatever it is um, when you need it. <laughs> Eggs in the fire, I'll take it. Uh, MVP Mitch, of course, is a campaign you've been driving for at least two or three days. <laughs> no, I, I got to admit, that's Mike Lombardi's. Um, oh, is it? Okay. You know, he, he coined the nickname and, and, um, and is vicious about it. Yeah. I um, mean, you, what you saw was what you get, you know? Yeah, but uh, Wilson is, is legitimately getting that, that buzz. Oh, MVP, right? yeah. yeah. Um, certainly, certainly. You know, uh, and, and I think. You could you could almost see that coming before the season as well. Uh, it, he's Bill Belichick said, you know, 
he thought Wilson was the best quarterback in the NFC. I think that's what he said. But, I mean, he, he was lavishing praise on him during the week, which was interesting because, you know, one of the things is you don't want to get him mad. <laughs> and, you know, and, and Mahomes gets all the attention, you know, but w- Wilson kind of does more with less in a way. It is interesting. Looking at that the balance of why certain quarterbacks get the the hype and the focus, sometimes it's the media market, of course, a lot of the time, and certainly in the case of Mahomes and uh, and Jackson it is the electrifying play but Wilson seems to have uh, plenty of those in, in his locker as well but yet doesn't uh, I was listening to Simmons and Cousins sat on their pod making this point that he doesn't seem to get the same level of buzz or certainly hasn't in, in, in the last year or so why is that? Why do you think Russell well, Wilson Collinsworth made the point on, on the broadcast right? Saying yeah, he's, he, he's, he's not flashy he's not um, you know um, he, he doesn't seek much attention um, not that not that Mahomes or Lamar Jackson do. Uh, he's been around a little longer, so mm. you know people have got used to him. But it, his whole game, I keep I've said this many many times. He reminds me of a basketball point guard, mm. and he's kind of uh, you know a, like a Walt Frazier type. Now I'm going way back. So yeah, a lot of people explain Walt that. Frazier, but yeah. a guy who's always in control of the game who sees everything that's happening, who when he comes down, not at, not always at high speed or whatever, but he's aware of all the movement. He seems to have 180 vision, you know, on both sides. Of it. And that, that to me is what Wilson distributes the ball, you know, really well. And of course, he's got a tremendous arm, which mm-hmm. I think people don't realize. He throws a long ball as well as anybody in the league in terms of accuracy and, and right. putting it up. And he was doing that in college. Uh, you know, was, I, I was raving about him when I did that season a Big Ten, and he was at Wisconsin. I remember you were, and uh, you got. He was dropping it last night. Some, uh, uh, also on that. This the throw to Moore. I think that's maybe the forget the one-handed catch at the back of the end zone. Uh, I think getting into the end zone by falling in backwards is the optimum way of scoring a touchdown. Mate. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe not the best looking, but you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I like guys who can push the pile backwards. Right. Uh, yeah, I think that was, yeah. was that, was that, what's his name? Floyd. When he was with the Patriots for a brief time, yeah. you know, he, he had one, he had first, he threw a block that sprung somebody for a touchdown. It was a devastating block. And then he caught a pass from Brady and he literally pushed the pile while going in backwards. And then in the next game, he dropped the ball and he never threw, they never threw to him again and cut him immediately after the season. <laughs> That's one, one of the reasons up. Brady's gone. You know, he just, he was losing patience with guys very quickly. With all of that. One more on this game and we'll move on because there are so many uh, things yeah. we want to talk about. Jamal Adams, I, I want to... Uh, oh, yeah. His yeah. performance because it was, it was fascinating. I mean, explosive uh, in, in many respects, but also flawed as well. I mean, it was a mixed bag from him, wasn't it? Well, yeah, you could see that the Patriots were trying to isolate Edelman on Jamal Adams um, when it worked a number of times uh, he had them but and Adams is not a deep coverage guy ne- you know never has been really um, he he is a box safety and it's interesting we were talking about it watching the Jets game how they Marcus May has now moved into that position right. where, May, where May was more or less the free safety in that you know they, they interchanged roles but he was more or less the guy who would have deep responsibility when it came but Adams has been such a force at the line of scrimmage um and he's another guy with great vision he he busts up plays because he sees where they're going he understands what the blocking is showing him and he can get through the the mess um he's strong enough to do that he's quick enough to do that so you know he got another sack i think um against the against mm-hmm. the patriots and um a couple of 
one or two tackles for loss. Um, and, you know, he, he is what they wanted and more. I mean, in a sense, he's, he may not have the coverage skills that Cam, Cam Chancellor had um, in some situations, but he's more explosive at the line of scrimmage than Cam Chancellor was. And- more boom or bust. I mean, he was targeted, uh, PFF uh, with the stat here, targeted five times, four catches for 128 yards. So as yeah. you say, they were, they were, yeah. they were, they were trying him. to isolate him deep. You know, that, mm. that, was, that was the game plan. And that's where Edelman, that's mostly Julian Edelman got the um, catches against him. Okay, so uh, in the end, uh, a thrilling win uh, for Seattle. A lot to be confident about if you're uh, team Patriots. Uh, impressive performance all around from them. Um, yeah, you know, um, they gave up 35 points, but even so, you sort of thought with the guys they have on defense, <laughs> that wasn't a bad performance. You know, the, the worrying thing was that their secondary did give up a lot of yardage, but up front, they, they don't have much, you know, in, in terms of, of um, name players and, and Adam Butler, one of their defensive tackles was out, you know, they're, they're missing the linebackers, but, but they did, they did play really well up front. I, Belichick, if you, I think shown him the last two weeks of tape before the start of the season, he'd take it right now. I think so. Yeah. Where they're at. And they're definitely in a fight in the AFC East. There's no doubt about that. We said that though, Mike, we said this idea that they are. Yeah. I mean, those two, those two games with Buffalo are going to be crucial. Uh, obviously now, but I mean, we've already seen Miami, Miami's coming along, but they're not there yet. The Jets are, (laughs) <laughs> the Jets Rufus, are digging themselves a hole under the runway at New, Newark Airport. <laughs> we'll save, save your Jets disc because we're going to talk about that later on. We're going to move on to uh, the Chiefs-Chargers game. Uh, the Chiefs squeaking a win over the Chargers. They were double-digit favorites or near enough, uh, but the Chargers ran them close, which some people thought they might do, of course. Nobody thought that Justin Herbert was going to be starting the game, though, for LA, but he gets hand of the start just minutes before kickoff, Mike. Uh, really extraordinary uh, way that that played out. Tyra Taylor heard himself during the warm-up yeah i think um, anthony lynn didn't realize he was punching taylor in the stomach as hard as he actually did um and, but uh it was probably an advantage for justin herbert and that he didn't have all week to think about uh his first start in the nfl and rookie quarterbacks do tend to to come out and um you know, try not to make mistakes. Uh, they don't want to throw away their start their starting position. They want to play like a veteran. But Herbert really had nothing much to lose, and and he he moved the ball really well uh, last year when we were talking about him in the draft. I remember Jeff Schwartz saying that. Um, his last few games at Oregon, including the bowl game, were his best games of his career because the coaching staff let him run and they had tried to keep him in the pocket, mostly, I think, from fear of injury. Uh, but he did a great job running and throwing on the on the run. And there was one tremendous collision on the sideline where, you know, someone thought, oh, I've got an, a shot at Justin Herbert and, and threw himself at Herbert and wound up lying there hurt as Herbert walked back to the, the huddle. And he's, you know, he is like 6'6", 235. He's tight end, almost tight end size. <laughs> They're talking, Anthony, then that is, talking of going back to Tyrone Taylor. He's my starter. There's no <laughs> chance that's going to happen. I wouldn't have thought so. I mean, that, how could you justify it? You know, you've had, you give each guy's had one game. Uh, Herbert's had less preparation and played much better. Um, I know he wants to keep, you know, he wants to keep to a ground oriented offense um, mm. as we saw in the over in the overtime of the game. But, you know, I'm, Herbert, I, I saw the stat pop up as they do late on Sunday night. Um, Herbert is only the third quarterback in NFL history to be, 
to in his first start as a rookie have 300 plus yards passing and a running touchdown the other two being cam newton and otto graham and of course otto graham's first rookie start he'd already been playing four years in the aafc so that shouldn't really count so that's a pretty special start in, in a lot of ways and you're absolutely right about keeping um keeping the chiefs in the game the the chargers defense did it did a great job uh and um I had I had uh, this game going over. You know, I, I, I was expecting a bit of a shootout, even with Tyrod Taylor at quarterback. What? How did they do it in the first half? How do they hold Mahomes down? The stat: sixty passing yards in the first half, three point two per attempt, completing less than fifty percent. So, uh, was it uh, simply a case of? Uh, Mahomes just not being able to find any kind of rhythm. They were just getting uh, into it, at him and into his face too much, or was there more to it than that? Well, they were they were putting good pressure on, um, and um, as you might expect with with Bosa and Melvin Ingram, who had mm-hmm. Melvin Ingram had a pretty good game apart from a crucial offsides penalty. Jerry Tillery as well. Yeah, and Jerry Tillery, who's who's big, gets his hands up. Uh, but they were also doing a lot of what you have to do against them, which is to cut off the middle of the field in the pa- in the passing game. Um, you have to make life tough for Travis Kelsey, who you know really looked exhausted by the end of the game. They they were hitting him off the line of scrimmage. They were making him work, um, and they were able to blanket basically from a um, McCall Hardman, Tyree Kill. Um, to keep that to keep them from breaking deep on them, and uh, you know, I love the controversy when the um, there was no flag on Tyree Kill after the touchdown for taking his helmet off in in the end zone, and Gene mm. Steratore was just going, you know, he was seething with anger that they hadn't thrown a flag, <laughs> on that. and and then the the, the officials then penalized um, Kansas City for offensive holding twice on the the last drive, right. or else they would have won the game with a touchdown, and I just thought that was revenge for Tyree Kill because no one I, in two weeks no one's calling offensive holding you know and then all of a sudden you're going to flag them twice in OT or explain that Mike just on that tangent explain why it has been two weeks in a row now that, that those calls aren't happening the league um, wants the penalties to be clear unambiguous and serious it's kind of like a directive they sent around to the officials. And I think they think that too many offensive holding calls slow down the offense of the game too much. Um, you notice they're calling a lot of defensive holding, which, right. which is unusual. Um, and offensive holding, like pass interference, is one of those calls which is completely inconsistent. Uh, and, you know, and we – you know, we see a lot of it uncalled right in front of officials. And you can almost see them thinking it through um, that old, did he gain an unfair advantage or something like that? Well, you know, you're not supposed to hold. <laughs> That's an unfair advantage. But because you allow guys to put their hands on a player, then really the only time you're going to see it, I think, is if somebody grabs a real hunk of jersey or if if the um, rusher, the pass rusher or or defensive lineman or whatever – falls down you know or or you know does a double somersault backwards in terms of how the the chiefs will look at this performance would they be concerned that the charges had their number for a lot of the game or will they think well we didn't play particularly well but we still got the win and we're not going to be lights out every week i i think they'll they'll be thinking primarily that they need to get the offensive line sorted so that the run game gives them more flexibility. Um, when they needed it 
like I said, Mahomes drove them down the field really well at the end of the game, but those two holding penalties killed them, and they had to settle settle for the the field goal. Um, you also have to love a team that will settle for a fifty three yard field goal because they have such kick uh, such confidence in Dick Butker, mm. the the uh, <laughs> kicker, um, and he makes it. But they call a penalty, and it was a penalty. The guy flinched in the line before the snap. Mm. Then he kicks the 58, but they call it back because of the icing thing, which just kills me. Um, I mean, if you want to call a timeout to ice the kicker, fine. But do not I, – I cannot see how you can allow the timeout to be called on the sideline before the ball snapped, but before – without giving enough time for the whistle to be blown before the ball is snapped. Mm. I don't know how, I don't know what rule you make about it. Um, and in my book, it would be once the center has his, has his hands on the ball on a kick, you can't call an icing. So if you want to ice him, ice him, but ice him beforehand. Cause this business of having him kick it and then kick it again is, is unfair. It's, you know, it, it's stupid. And Butker, Butker, Butker did it twice. I mean, it it right? look easy. I mean, he kicked three feet, he kicked three 50 plus field goals in the space of two minutes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so he's up there with Tucker, I guess, is the other, other, you'd have them as the one, two tag team as the best kickers in the NFL. Yeah. Butker and Tucker. Um, and strangely enough, Josh Lambeau, the last two years yeah. has been first or second on my list um, yeah, based on the kicks he's done. Yeah. What about Gaskowski? Where's he on your kickback? Gaskowski actually has been inconsistent for the past few years. Um, since I think ever since he had that injury, and he's he's always missed a few big kicks. You know, even when the Patriots were doing well, um, it, it's really hard to tell why. You know, usually you think it's some kind of physical thing in terms of the the kicking motion, or or maybe an maybe an injury, or, or you know, just losing of power. But but he kicked a fifty-one yarder, and you know. Um, earlier, earlier in the game, after missing missing easy kick, you know it doesn't make sense. Let's go to the Ravens' pretty comprehensive win over the Texans, Mike. Uh, of course, all the plaudits going to Baltimore, but I want to focus on Houston for a minute because there was a lot to be positive about, despite this horrendous start scheduling was always against them nobody expects them to get anything out of the first couple of games realistically and here they are now oh and two but uh, the offense moved and, and particularly in the air there were some positives to to take away from the game for Deshaun Watson yeah I, you know after last week you really had to hope that they this idea of, of spreading the spreading the passing game around was actually going to work for uh for Bill O'Brien and and it had some success and you're dealing with one of the better pass defenses in the league i mean you know this is a team that can let earl thomas go and it doesn't hurt them at all in, in the secondary um or not not as much as as you would have thought um they they're four deep at corner uh, so you, you're going to always have problems. The, the top Marlon Humphreys and Marcus Peters are, are another top pair of corners uh, in the league. So, um, you know, Baltimore are looking like the Ravens of old. And of course, you know, I'm not sure Houston's defense was prepared for them. They did a pretty good job of slowing them down for a while, but, but you can't slow them down forever. And as the game wore on and Buffalo decided to put the ball on the ground, you know, they, they were able to close it out the way, the way you would want to. And, you know, I know they're tough games for the Texans, but if you're going to be the division winner and, and play in the playoffs, you're going to have to win some of those tough games. You know, it, it's, um, it, it's going to be a challenge for them. And, and I think they, we may overvalue their defensive talent at this point. 
Um, I'm not sure they're as good defensively as, as you would think on paper um, they should be. And that part of that is that, you know, J.J. Watt's not what J.J. Watt was three years ago. We talked about how balanced the Seahawks are offensively. The same could be applied to, to the Ravens, of course. They did what they did last year against the Texans, uh, tore them on the ground, 230 yards this time around. But Lamar was once again very competent, if not exceptional in the air. 75% of his passes completed, did what he needed to do, spread it around to eight or nine different targets. So based on that and, and what you were saying about how uh, complete their defense seems to be, is it the Seahawks? And the Ravens and everybody else at the moment in terms of the uh, the, the the finished article. Oh yeah, um, and you know the Ravens were arguably the best team in the AFC last year. Um, they just happened to have a bad game and a bad game plan at the wrong time in the playoffs, but. They're much better, I think, this year uh, on both sides of the ball. They, the offensive line is is probably not as good, but but not a huge fall off. But they've added receivers who are going to grow into the system, most notably Duvernay. Um, they could use another tight end, but they had one. You know, they had one extra last year. They were able to spread the ball around that way. Dobbins looks like a Ravens style running back already um, as a rookie, and uh, we were talking about it. Um, on on the show yesterday with the beat writer from Baltimore, the the way these young guys fit the Raiders as uh, the Ravens pattern, they they choose very carefully guys who meet their meet their needs and expectations. So Queen looks great um, at the inside linebacker spot. It helps them a lot, as we discussed, I think, in the preview. They picked up Calais Campbell and Gene Wolfe as plan B um, when they couldn't get Michael Brockers, and, and that's worked out for them. Yeah, so I think defensively, they are a better team than they were last year. And if they, they play, they can play from the lead probably better than any team in the league. Uh, and Jackson, Jackson's passing has always been undervalued because he's, he's never been kind of like a big play passer and depended on as such the way uh, Deshaun Watson was in college, say, or Russell Wilson was in college, but he was a very efficient passer in college. And, and it, and he wasn't in a run first necessarily kind of offense, um, but he's able to do that. So, you know, I, I just think that they're, they and the chiefs again will be, are the two best teams in the AFC, if not in football, you know, and, and just hope that both of them get to the um, AFC championship game. Cause I think that'll be a, a really good game. Growing up, of course, next week, aren't they? Uh, the two of them. So that'll be interesting uh, to see. Right. Let's move on to the 49ers. Um, blew the jets apart, but not without cost, Mike. <laughs> Extraordinary stuff going on there in terms of injuries, everybody going down. So uh, obviously started the game without George Kittle. Then Jimmy G goes out, Mostert goes out, Bosa was the first one. That's a key part. These aren't just, you know, making up the numbers players. They are losing as left, right and center. At what cost, Mike? How much is this going to affect them ultimately? That's going to be a tough one. Defensive line is real. Solomon Thomas was gone as well as Bosa. Um, Bosa's out for the season. I'm, I'm assuming at the, at this point, um, knee surgery seems to be indicated. Um, and he, of course, is their best pass rusher uh, and a real force as a pass rusher. So that's going to be a problem for them. They can survive without Jimmy G, especially if they get some of their receivers back. Because remember, Debo's been out um, as well. Um, they can probably survive without Mostert, although he's obviously now their best running back. But but uh, McKidrick um, had, a, had a really good game replacing him. And 
I'm not, I just, I'm not sure exactly how this, how this plays out because it is a tough division. Um, they, the way they scheme can help get their receivers open as we saw in the year that Nick Mullins played quarterback. Um, but without the defense to keep them in games, that's going to be, that's going to be the real challenge for them. And up front, obviously DeForest Buckner and Sheldon day both went to Indianapolis. So they were already undermanned um, up front to lose sub Thomas and Bosa. That's really going to be a challenge. My, why are so many injuries happening? Uh, because so many others around the league as well. Saquon going down uh, for the Giants and uh, McCaffrey hurt as well. It, it has to be connected with what we saw or that didn't see in in the offseason. Yeah, well, you know, Michael Thomas at the Saints and you know, some really key people um, around the league who are dependent on a lot and, and probably – not only is there the the factor which again we've we've talked about the um the lack of contact in practice the lack of game condition play um whether it's scrimmaging or more importantly exhibition games against other teams where where uh things are more or less for real and guys are playing for places so that so the competition is kind of intense um but also because i think the the key players are the ones that teams rely on perhaps even more so than usual in the early weeks of the season. In other words, you've had less time to break new guys in, to let them learn the systems, to have the systems working the way you would like them to be. So it's easy to say, well, give Saquon the ball another time. You know, we need this now. Get, throw to Michael Thomas. Although, I mean, they throw him <laughs> 10 times a game, every game anyway. Um, but it, it's a lot to ask because the point is often made game shape is not the same as being in shape and and getting getting in condition to take hits and be able to to deal with that is and to extend yourself is always is always a real problem let's move on to the la rams mike uh looking legit and cousin greg greg rosenthal uh, was one of the few realistically uh, there weren't many that were bigging up their chances this season we said at the top of the show how tough the division is going to be, which obviously has some bearing on it, but so far so good for the new style McVay Rams. Yeah, respect for Cousin Greg and respect for the Rams. Um, you know, last week it was their defense, and their defense was still a, a factor this week. Um, but I mean, again, it's partly the Eagles. You know, look look at look at the opposition um, before you you jump to lots of conclusions. But Aaron Donald, they, the Eagles took care of. Um, he only had one tackle the whole game. Um, you know, but but anytime you're double teaming somebody the whole game, it has an effect on the rest of your rest of your game. They also didn't give up. Last week, it was eight sacks to, by, against Carson Wentz um, or Carlson Wentz, as we call him. <laughs> um, and uh, this week, it was none. But that didn't seem to matter because it looked like their game plan was to, again, cut off the middle, kind of like the Kansas City um, uh, Chargers game, but more so. Um, neither Ertz nor Goddard was able to get even to 10 yards a catch. They were really just flooding that middle and, and coming down on them very, very quickly. Uh, and their top tacklers, apart from Kaiser, who, the linebacker, who was dropping back a lot, but their top tacklers were all defensive backs because they had this kind of uh, string uh, right across the field of, of guys underneath and then a couple over over uh, to stop the long pass, which um, you know they tried with Deshaun Jackson, but uh, they don't have another long receiver. Uh, who, who can who can threaten the field and offensively they want to run and Henderson had a good game 
Um, you know, so it was Henderson and Brown. Um, and if Henderson can sort of be their pocket caught Todd Gurley, you know, and, and replace um, some of what Todd Gurley brought as a receiver as well, um, they could be okay there because uh, we saw the tight ends get more involved. Higby had a pretty good game. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that helps to make up um, – for the the fact that they don't they still Ayuk hasn't come on sorry that not Ayuk but they still don't have a third receiver to match with Woods and Cup uh, and interestingly Woods and Cup carried the ball five times between them uh, they ran a lot a lot of reverses and end, ends around end arounds and Woods got a touchdown on an end around um, so yeah I, I like what's going on Goff still I think is dependent on McVeigh's play calling to an extent that uh, Jimmy G for example isn't quite as dependent as uh, on Shanahan's, but, but it's a very similar situation. But I think McVay really has to read de- the defense for Goff. And we, you know, his arm has never been in question. If he sees it, he can complete it. Question is always whether he can see it or not. How big a disadvantage is that, Mike, when you think about we're you know, in an era of great improvisational quarterbacks, Mahomes and Wilson and Jackson and, uh, and Rogers too, for that matter, you know, uh, you know, a, a real collection of them. So how, it's an obvious disadvantage, but how much so that a player like Goff, because we hear this all the time, he can't really think for himself, he's fed everything by McVay, but he's at the same time uh, technically a very capable player. Yeah, and, and it's not that he can't think for himself as much as once he's under pressure, he stops, he stops computing. And the way to beat them, obviously, as we saw in the Super Bowl, part of it is you have to put him under pressure. Um, the second part is he... he can't really improvise very much, but the system itself is an improvisational one in the sense that he's, they're trying to create easy reads um, and easy openings for him by, by doing uh, sort of complicated root combinations uh, more, or, more or less. So if you pressure Goff, that's, that's the key to beating them. If, you, if they run the ball well, it helps take away the pressure because your play action uh, becomes that much more effective. And, and like the San Francisco offense, it's built on play action. And um, I think for two years, what you've seen is McVay trying to build Goff's confidence because you, you really think it's, it's kind of a confidence issue. Mm. Um, yes, you're going to get hit, but when that pressure's coming in, keep your calm, keep, stay confident. It's a tough thing to coach. Um, you know, it's, it's almost a natural talent. If you could put Gardner Minshew's, um, you know, head and heart in and uh, give him Jared Goff's arm, you'd have the perfect quarterback, you know? Well, let's move on to that because the, the Jags almost pulling it off uh, once again. And I, I, we got into this on our radio show that we were doing last night, Mike. I asked you about the, the long-term prognosis for Minshew in, in Jacksonville. Is he, has he got a shot at winning that job long-term, do you think? Or is it always going to be a bridge season? Uh, both. I mean, I think he's almost always going to be a guy you would like to move on from simply because he doesn't have that natural arm strength um, that they want. But partly you have to consider the offense he's playing in, the team he's playing for, and, and cut him some slack on that. I think they're, what they were looking at is he will get us through a season. You know, he can mm-hmm. he can help us make the most of the least that we've got. He's very good in breakdown situations. You know, that that's where he that's where he stars. And um, you know, if we do really badly with him, we can have a shot at getting a better quarterback. 
Um, if we can get by and improve the team around him, that's the way I'd like to do it. And if this is coming from Doug Marone, I, you know, I, I would say yes, yes, yes. Build him an offensive line. You know, get get a receiving weapon. Um, you know, and see what he can do. I, I spent part of the morning. <laughs> half asleep trying to come up with with who Gardner Minshew most reminds me of and I'm looking I'm looking for a quarterback who is good in the breakdown who, who you know who can keep plays alive who makes uh unexpected throws uh he threw a couple of beauties on the run um mm. you know where he leads a running back with a with a banana blooping pass um over his shoulder that was great but is is doomed to play on losing teams <laughs> you know so right. doesn't get that much help and and i i, I put together a list and now here here was the name jeff garcia mm-hmm um, John Kitna, but Kitna wasn't Kitna, mobile yeah. enough for that role. Um, Jake DeLum, but mm-hmm. Jake DeLum was on better teams. Mm-hmm. Jim Harbaugh, um, who was not on great teams some of the time, especially in Chicago, you know, and had to do a lot by himself. And that's why they called him Captain Comeback um, at that time. Billy Joe Tolliver. <laughs> from Mike Ditka's Saints, although Tolliver had a really strong arm, just uncontrolled. Jim McMahon. I, yeah, I was going to say McMahon, I thought. Of, that's, yeah. a good, that's a good comparison, um, although he played on good teams, on strong teams. Right. Um, Archie Manning to an extent, but Manning wasn't kind of the scrambler and had a better arm, I think. Neil Lomax, who nobody will remember but from the Cardinals when they weren't very good. Um, and Tyler Thigpen, right. uh, who had you know one good year with um, – Chan Gailey and the, and the Chiefs, but completely surprised everybody by coming out of nowhere, basically, to win that, that starting job. He's, he's somewhere in that group, you know, and there are some pretty good quarterbacks in that group, uh, guys you can win with. Uh, so I wouldn't, you know, I, I think Jacksonville were smart in the sense not to give up on him to get rid of Nick Foles when they could still get some value for him. Um, because I think wh- whoever realized, whether it was David Caldwell or Marone or someone else, whoever realized that Nick Foles was probably not the quarterback to take a bad team um, forward uh, for the next two years. So you might as well get some value for him. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that was a smart move. Um, you'd rather have Minshew on with a porous offensive line having to play comeback than you would Nick Foles. And ducking and diving around it. Yeah, it's stepping up. 339, three touchdowns. Uh, the defense holding up as well. Derek Henry, uh, quieter than usual. Yeah, 84 from 25 carries. So we talked about the fire sale. That's been, uh, you know, well reported that the the Jags doing something similar to what the Finns did last, uh, going into last season. Uh, and a similar kind of progress in terms of how competitive they're being to the Finns last season. We thought they were a lot for a 1-15, 2-14 and 14 season. That's what everybody said. Jacksonville were going to be here. They are at 1-1. One and one. And not just the record, Mike, but the way that they're playing, the way they're playing for their coach. Yeah. Um, and, and I think for whatever reason, um, you know, and maybe it's because so many of the, of the big names have gone, um, and maybe it's because of Minshew. Mm. and his his own leadership skills but you know they they really play like a young team um with the kind of college rah-rah stuff now that often wears out over the course of a 16 game season right (laughs) although as many people point out to me colleges if you're one of the good colleges you're playing a 16 or 17 game season anyway Mm -hmm. because of because of the playoffs and all um but you know they can ride that for for a while and and i think they like the Dolphins, they have done in a couple of cases the smart thing because when you're in a rebuild situation, and, and in their case, it was 
largely their own fault because I think they concentrated their resources or ignored some areas where they needed to concentrate resources and chose badly in, in some other areas. You have to kind of unload good players simply because you can't afford to pay them on a bad team, mm. um, which is why, in a sense, talent tends to move upward in the NFL. Um, and and when you build when you build a team, you, you're almost you're almost going to always lose some of that talent. It's really hard to maintain your cap and rebuild at the same time. And um, that's why Minka Fitzpatrick is with the Steelers, who are you know getting a lot out of him as you would expect. Um, but the Dolphins said, well, look, our defense can play with doesn't need him. We can, you know, um, we can play and, and lose just as well without him, you know, uh, Laramie Tunsil a little bit harder for them to replace, but you know, they, they, they haven't, you have to bite the bullet sometimes uh, and, and let guys go. And, you know, we talked about the Rams. Now the big question with the Rams is they, they're paying Jared Goff a fortune. They're paying Jalen Ramsey a fortune. They've just extended Robert Woods for, what for a wide receiver is a fortune. I mean, um, Cooper Cup is being paid an awful lot now. You know, all and Aaron Donald, of course, is paid. And Donald's the one guy in that group where you say, give him what he wants. Because, <laughs> you know, there aren't many Aaron Donalds around. Um, but uh, how, can you, how can you get through next year uh, with, with that group? You know, it, it, it affects your depth. Henderson and Malcolm Brown are your starting run, you know, are your running backs. Now it, they're a decent pair, but you know, neither is a Todd Gurley, for example. Um, you know, what, what happens if you get a few key injuries like, like teams are, are having right now. And, and um, it, it's a dilemma that, that it could, if there's another, if the injury run continues for another week or two, it could see a, a real leveling off in the NFL, you yeah. know, uh, not quite a, a complete reversal of the balance of power, but certainly some changes in it. Well, a lot of those points you can apply to, to the Dallas Cowboys. That's where we'll go next. Of course, they uh, same thing where they uh, have splashed the cash with uh, three or four of their key protagonists, maybe at the cost of strength and depth. And they are suffering hugely too, Mike, with injuries. They pulled off an almighty comeback against the Falcons, 29-10 down at the half and uh, barely getting anything going. And then they came out of the traps flying in, uh, in the third quarter. So many different things here. Let's start with the most notable play of all, of course, the onside kick. Talk us through how on earth the Falcons let that happen. Yeah. <laughs> the Falcons have suffered a lot <laughs> overnight uh, mm. on that play. Um, it was it was an onside kick brilliantly executed because the ball was flat and turning almost like one of those things the kids had where um, where they were spinning them around a couple right. of, a couple of years and nobody touched it because after the ball is not a free ball until it's traveled 10 yards and it didn't look as if it was going to travel 10 yards now at some point a Falcon could have jumped on that ball and it would have been a dead ball if he got to it and if nobody pulled it away from him. But instead they were waiting and waiting and waiting. And their big problem was that they didn't have the ball covered when it hit the 10 yard mark. In other words, they were still on one side more or less and, and the Cowboys were on the other and they did get to it first, but the ball was ripped away at the bottom of the pile 
quite early, I think, in the process. And in the NFL, there is no kind of like ball is dead when one person recovers it at the bottom of a pile <laughs> because <laughs> you can't always see it. Even if it appears really clear, we've seen these overturned a couple of times where a guy falls on the ball, has it between his hands, and is on top of it, and it's, the replay shows that clearly. But they still haven't gone with that. I'm trying to remember who the tight end was who did that last year. And, and I was incensed that they, they didn't give him possession um, at the, it might've been Toy Lolo um, or Au Claire. I think it was Tampa. I think it was Au Claire. Um, anyway. Um, so that, that was a problem there. And everybody's saying, well, the, the Falcons should have, covered the kick before it went 10 yards, but it wasn't that easy because the Cowboys were, you know, were literally there. So you had the same problem. It would take a guy with a lot of guts uh, to dive <laughs> on that. He had to, had to be someone who had a lot of confidence. They needed Juju. Juju should have just dived yeah. in from the, the yeah. sideline. I mean, your hands team is there because they supposedly have hands. It would just need somebody with confidence to take that step. And, and in a sense, it's because this is a kick that I've never seen before doing what it did, you know, spinning like that and right. moving and moving forward. Um, and it's great that, you know, I, I, much as I, I picked the Cowboys. So I, I'm, I should point out I'm 15 and 0 this week and um, I've well, never had, Mace, we haven't, I've, you haven't put it out. I've done like this it. for 60, for 15 years. I did this on NFL UK or on my Patreon site and I'd never had a 16 and 0 week. I've done 15 and 1 twice. So um, the Saints tonight. I'm, Maybe you guys I'm say, saying it. I, it. I've put it online. I'm not. I'm not making this stuff up. We after, believe after you, Mike. To the fact. Um, we believe you. Know, you. How did Supercomputer get on? Uh, we should probably check. I haven't checked. I haven't. I haven't looked at at uh, who's doing what on, on Pickwatch because I don't want to then say. Pickwatch. You know. I, I don't want to then say, look, I was 16 and you know, I was 10 and six in week one um, picking the games, but because on the radio yesterday, I picked the mm. 10 early games, you yeah, know, 10 that's, 10. that's evidence, you know, and, and um, that's so, evidence. I love the way you're justifying uh, Will Thomas. Yeah. Is going I mean, to touch on you know, when they, when they bring me in the court, I'll, yeah. I'll <laughs> it's recording this as well, Mike. It's nothing on to hide. This podcast. <laughs> Will Thomas got a touch at the NC show says, uh, Nat, we need to make Mike versus the Pickomatic machine a weekly section of the pod. So maybe <laughs> we should. I said, I don't want to do this. You know, that was why I dropped <laughs> writing the columns. And, and I was, I was talking with Ollie, the producer, you know, and I said, the NFL UK used to cut my column every year. They would say, write fewer words for each game until they were finally like asking for like 50 words a game. Um, and when I started doing it on Patreon, I, I would write to my heart's content, which meant I was writing like 5,000 words a week, maybe six on some weeks, picking the games. But a game like Minnesota, um, la, you know, yesterday, in Minnesota Indy, I would have written like for an hour on that. I would have been mulling it over coins, you know, uh, closing my eyes and seeing which, which team jumped into my head <laughs> and not trusting that kind of first instinct. So yesterday when you say, you know, when you said Minnesota, Minnesota, Indy, I said, Indy, <laughs> and that was great. I don't, right. I, but I don't feel any commitment to it. You know, I don't feel like I'm bound to it. And like when I was writing, when I was writing those, those picks and, you know, Allen Ginsberg said, first thought, best thought. Mm. You know, and, and, you know, he had a bad, he had a bad beat, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. I'm just you're reminded, you reminded me of the, what's the Pacino, Matthew McConaughey film where uh, Pacino runs it, Two for the Money, it's called, where Pacino runs that tipster service in New York and gets, finds McConaughey, who's a college quarterback that gets injured and is picking quite well so this brings him in and McConaughey has this a brilliant streak for a while and then loses his mojo and he's doing that it's basically it's kind of mm, 
dropping a pin where he can, calling in, <laughs> calling in uh, the intern to make the picks for him. And yeah, maybe that's. Uh, that's I'll, I'll give you one tip. I've given this away a couple of times. Um, I mean, it used to be if if you couldn't decide, if you thought a game was a toss up, you took the home team. Mm. But home field advantage um, has, gone, has gone down a bit. I mean, I don't think it's negated by the lack of crowds, to be honest. But really? but it but it has gone down a bit um, over the over the last five six years. Um, the second thing is if if you can't decide and you're going to flip a coin. Mm. Try to figure out what your head is telling you as opposed to what your gut is telling you mm. or your tail is telling you. And so then make it that way. So my head says Minnesota is going to win, but my tail says it's going to be the Colts and then flip the coin. And then, yeah, but then you have to trust the coin. You know, but you go always go head over heart as opposed to head, head I don't over. know. I don't always think sometimes you just have to balance it out. But, but the, um, it's kind of like the longer the discussion goes on, the more head tends to triumph. Mm. <laughs> Speak for yourself. I'm um, just thinking of uh, Goo versus uh, Supercomputer. What do I keep calling it? That Pickomatic machine. It was AccuScore, Acu was it? Oh, AccuScore. <laughs> we don't know. Something but it's just like, when I try to get out there. Pull me back in, Mike. That's what I mean, that was great. I had this running thing going the last four weeks of the season because we were basically even. It was Mike versus the machine. <laughs> <laughs> um all right, back to business. We are, well, the, the Cowboys getting it done. Anyway. Just a quick line on, uh, on them because, God, if they'd lost that one uh, and they should have lost that one, it would have been all kinds of pressure already building up on, uh, on Mike McCarthy. But they didn't. And there was a lot to be positive about. They are clearly a flawed team, but they, as we expected, are going to be able to suck a punch here and then some with this offense. What do you make of C.D. Lamb? Because he had over 100 yards, six catches. They're expecting him to contribute from the beginning. What do he look like to you? Like a rookie receiver in, in, in some ways. Um, and they, but they are targeting him a lot. Mm. And, you know, they need, that to, they need that to function. They need to have the three receiver um, lineups work in order to get, I think, the best out of Zeke Elliott and, and the best out of um, their, their tight ends who are, are secondary weapons but are not bad you know, mm. in, in that role. Um, that was always what the plan was. Uh, and I think the plan was to rely a little less on Dak being kind of like the poor man's Russell Wilson. Mm. Um, but, it, you know, that's part of what they did. They, they switched to that um, yesterday. He was the poor, poor man's Russell Wilson um, in, in that game. And, um, and just to put that in context, 34 of 47 for 450. And that is with one touchdown. That is a poor man's Russell Wilson, yeah. the 2020 NFL, right? Yeah. And running the ball when it, when he had to, you know, and, and making uh, what he had three running touchdowns in the end, mm. um, which is, is a lot for a quarterback, you know, Matt Ryan threw for 450 the week before, Mm. Um, and they lost that game um, by, by a pretty wide margin. Um, and, but I think Dallas people are going to think they can throw against Dallas, um, you know, and, and Atlanta should have been able to, it was, it was a lot like that, the 28-3, you know, they just, mm. they just couldn't wear enough time off the clock in, in the second half. Uh, they weren't able to control the line of scrimmage well enough to, to do that. Mm. And, um, and their receivers were having an easy time of it in the first half. Dallas made it a little bit more difficult by dropping more people in the second half and, and not rushing, not depend, not sending as many guys, but getting it's kind of the equivalent rush. Um, I could be conservative at the wrong times as well. Four field goals they settled for. So yeah. Um, again, and again, 
I, I don't know how many of those I'd, I would argue with. Um, well, taking the, taking the kick. When you've got the, a big lead like that, mm. you're, you're less prone to take the risk. Mm. Um, although maybe you should be more prone, you know, because you, the three points may not make so much difference overall. But That could should have flipped a coin, Mike. Uh, that's what should, <laughs> that's what yeah, I can just see Dan Quinn, yeah. you know. Oh, two out of three. You know, <laughs> yeah. or, you know, or you flip a coin too, and we'll see if they come out the same. Um, and I think Dan Quinn right now has to ask himself some serious questions. You know, I'm, you know, I'm Dan sure. Quinn on the hot seat, Mike. Let's, let's wrap with that. Coaches on the hot seat, as I say. If, yeah, because I, I think they lost that game more than the Cowboys the won. The Cowboys won it, right. So there's, there's, there was pressure anyway on him this season. There's no doubt about that. And, and Arthur Blank and the, the Falcons seem to be very much behind him, but that can only roll for, for so long, right? And Yeah. I mean, we know there's one coach who's, who's not on the hot seat. He's on that, that chair that Blofeld has in James Bond, you know, that when he pushes the button, he's going to drop into the shark tank, you know. Um, <laughs> well, like a jab, jab of the Hutt's uh, palace where he just <laughs> yeah. drops down into the right court. Um, uh, so Adam yeah, that's, Gaze. that's Adam Gaze, obviously. Yeah, right. Um, I, looked, I looked up because Gaze's press conference, when we were on air last night, and Will was saying, oh, I'm hearing some pretty interesting things about Gaze's uh, press conference and various expletives. So uh, I uh, looked it up this morning and found uh, found uh, r- reports on it, of course, but also found, uh, which you'll love, I'll send you the link, a press conference, because when you search on Twitter, you can put in that keyword. It doesn't necessarily show you chronologically the most recent, right? It showed this press conference from last season, which I'd missed, but maybe maybe you've seen it. Maybe our listeners caught it, where the fire alarm went off. <laughs> Have you seen this? During Adam Gase's <laughs> press conference, and the voice is going, there is a fire, please. <laughs> exit at the MetLife Stadium. <laughs> and it was just incredible timing to find that Adam Gase. And Adam Gase is going, how did they know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. So Gase is in serious trouble. He's the bookie's favorite to go first. Yeah. Any way for- he could turn around. I don't think so. I don't see that team turning it around. And, right. and you know, and he's had he's probably had enough time to do it. The, the only thing that might save him is whether Joe Douglas likes him or not. Um, mm. because you've got a new general manager in. Um, but I, I get the feeling they would prefer to go in a different direction as well. I mean, the second guy on my list is probably Matt Patricia, but the book before the season was that he and Quinn had this year to prove themselves, you know, because the Lions seem to be where this now where they wanted to be. He's another guy who dumped a lot of um, good veteran players, you know, to get guys he liked, most of them from New England. Um, but it's kind of like Stalin in the five-year plans. You know, a coach should be given a couple of years to, you know, to get the roster he wants and put it in. Now, he's lost two games this season. Um, he's, lost, he's blown uh, 11 fourth-quarter leads in 34 games in his, mm-hmm. in his coaching career. Wow. Um, this is his third year. But I think they will leave him till the end of the season, unless it all goes uh, heads, uh, bottom up. You know, if they were like 0-8 oh, or something like that, and then, then they might uh, make a change just for the sake of making um, a change. Bill O'Brien, you know, we can, we can rationalize they played better this week. <clears throat> the problem is that there's no general manager in, in Houston apart from Bill O'Brien. I'll fire himself. Uh, he's not well, he fire himself, <laughs> yeah. obviously. Um, sure. But – so I, I suspect he's kind of in there till the end of the season, in which case, if they want to get rid of him, there's going to be a whole clear out of his people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Doug Peterson, I think, could be in trouble, although Philadelphia will look at his previous success and the fact that 
injuries or crippling yeah, give them the a pause team for injuries, sure. and give them a pass maybe, but injuries seem to cripple them a lot. Mm. Um, it's not Peterson's fault unless he's like, has, has some secret coaching method that, that keeps players brittle. Um, but I don't know. And, um, and Quinn, Arthur Blank is not the kind of guy I think to make sudden changes, but certainly there was pressure on him about midway last season, at which point he moved Raheem Morris back to the defensive side right. and then handed him the play call, the defensive play calling um, deals. That right now isn't working as well as we thought it would. They're giving up a lot of points, obviously, to, to good offensive teams. But, but, you know, there really was no excuse for that meltdown against Dallas. Um, mm. You know, if you have to adjust, adjust. If you have to adjust offensively, adjust. They didn't seem to adjust the way down halftime. You know, maybe Jerry Jones came down from the box and gave the Cowboys a stirring pep talk um, that nobody knows about. But, <laughs> but, but my, my feeling is, uh, you know, that, that, that Quinn, Quinn, Patricia – um, probably O'Brien will probably see out the season unless they really, you know, unless the team is really in trouble and there's no way they can get back. Mm. Uh, okay, lovely stuff. I just got me thinking actually with Jerry Jones there, where that moment when he's in the box all on his own, so he had no one to high five. Uh, <laughs> yeah, then all of a sudden there were people around. There him. Were I people think everybody there. cleared out when they were doing badly. I think. Uh, nobody, yes, I think that. I'm, and I'm serious. Yeah. I think yeah. nobody really wanted to be around him around when him. they were doing badly. Yeah. Then when they started doing well, you saw the people came back into the box and and were around him. Uh, you know, um, at least he was there. I thought he had gone off to Perugia for the weekend. But <laughs> he, he was back. No, no. Uh, apparently, yeah. Well, I don't keep uh, tabs of Jerry Jones's <laughs> hour by hour, so I can't comment on that. Iron Mike. If Jerry Jones uh, high fives someone in his box uh, and nobody sees it, does it happen? Did it happen? Oh yeah, yeah. Because you know, you you have to then cut your hand off and and put it under perspex. Is that right? Um, okay, that's the proof. Uh, much like we've got the proof for your pickomatic stuff as well, Mike. So we are locked and loaded yeah. on that. I, I uh, knew a guy, I knew a guy once who was in North Korea. Um, in a small village when, when nobody was allowed to go in there, but it was during the World Table Tennis Championships in Pyongyang. And they were in this little village and there was a jar under a Perspex case in the center of the village. And the guy asked, um, you know, why is that jar there? And they go, oh, Chairman Kim Jong-il. And they said, oh, oh, did he give you that? And they said, no, no. Yo, you know, did he use it when he was there? No, he looked at it once when he was passed through our village. <laughs> Wow. I feel like Jerry Jones is kind of the same way. <laughs> same thing. Mike, I've got plenty of mementos in my house uh, related to you in that capacity as well. <laughs> Running orders from TV shows we've done that you've scrawled insults on at me. Uh, frame the wall <laughs> and various other memorabilia. Uh, now, listen, we've got to go because, uh, well, you'll buy me lunch tomorrow, so uh, you better go and... It's true. Uh, it's, it's, Nat's birthday. it's Nat's birthday, by the way. That crawling lizard of time is, is kind of sticking its, <laughs> sticking its that. tongue out. That's that now. lovely sentiment. I appreciate that. Uh, well, I look forward to that tomorrow. Uh, beers on you. Uh, and thanks for today, bud. Good to catch up. Okay, yeah. I'm, you know, it's like, it's tough. when it, It's Sunday night and Monday morning, both. It's almost like one continuous show. Doubling down, forgetting <laughs> which ones we say which on. But anyway, I think we got there in the end. Uh, look after yourself. Check it soon. You too. Lovely stuff from Iron Mike. He will be back very, very soon. You can count on that, gang. We are back later on in the week. Tom 
Deakin making his season debut. Looking forward to catching it up with him. Uh, Mike Tannenbaum as well uh, from ESPN Stateside uh, doubling down for our week three preview show. Expect that to drop later in the week in your podcatcher of choice, which means if you haven't already subscribed to us and you won't miss a trick, we're also going to be rolling out all kinds of good stuff on our social channels. Tom Marley and the crew at the NC Show Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. So follow us there as well for lots of extra goodies. Thanks to Mike. Thanks to Ollie. We'll be back later on the week. See you then. Bye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network.